1: Today's guest, Jodie Cook, believes entrepreneurship stems from childhood. From around the age of six, her mom encouraged her to book her own doctor's and dentist's appointments, and to pack her own suitcase when she went on holiday. She grew up thinking this was the norm, but only upon reaching adulthood, realised that actually her mom had given her the skills needed for independent thinking,
0: something that would prove essential when she decided to launch her own business, aged just 22, Whenever my family went away anywhere, even just for one night, it was always up to me and my younger sister to pack our own suitcases. And it was it was all based on this phrase, what's the worst that could happen? And really the worst that could happen was that I picked a few silly outfits or didn't wear the right clothes for the right weather and looked a bit silly. And really it's just not that bad. In the book, the final section is called Leading by Example. And I think it's by far the most important section. I think parents will always be the most prominent person in their kid's life, bar no one else. It was the same for me. It was the same for nearly every entrepreneur interviewed in the book. So I guess I would say don't underestimate yourself, your your words and your actions and how they are really powerfully influencing the little people around you.
1: Welcome back to Brummy Mummies. My name is Zoe Chamberlain. I'm a journalist, author, and mum. I launched Brummy Mummies as a community for families to help people to connect both online and in person. My goal is to share with you stories from the most inspiring mums and dads to help you find out how they juggle family life and everything that comes with it. Today I talked to Jodie about how she realised that many other entrepreneurs were inspired by their upbringing and how it has led her to explore what their parents did that made the difference and what they do with their kids now to encourage entrepreneurship too. Hi, Jodie. Great to have you on the podcast today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I love your book. It's really inspirational. So tell me, what does it mean to you to be an entrepreneur?
0: I guess what it means to be an entrepreneur is that you set up a business, you take on risk and you use the resources available to create products or services that are of value to an audience. But I guess what it means to be an entrepreneur is kind of different to what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And I think what it takes to be an entrepreneur is a willingness to try, a willingness to fail and relentless pursuit of very specific business goals. I think that entrepreneurship is either a choice or it's stumbled upon. So do you think everyone can be an entrepreneur? So I've asked a lot about whether entrepreneurs are born or made. And I'm going to give you a tiny bit of a cop-out answer because I do think it is a little bit of both. Um, the reason why I think it might be a bit of born is because I was reading recently about a, an experiment to see whether people were naturally introverted or naturally extroverted. And it turns out if a, if a very small baby has played music in their crib, whether they move towards the music or they hide away from it, will pretty much predict whether they're introverted or extroverted when they grow up. Gosh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I think there are just some things that people just have, and that's what they're born with, and that's that's what they just are. So I think that some people might be, say, born with characteristics which might make them a bit more entrepreneurial than, say, someone else. But I think that the made side of things is actually far more important. So two of the aspects under made that I think make a huge difference. One of them is is the topic, and one of them is the environment that someone's in. So with topic, you could say that. Richard Branson was perfectly matched to creating the like train lines and, and airlines and everything else he did, would he have been able to create control pants like Sarah Blakely did with Spanx? Or would Sarah Blakely have been able to run Tesla or put SpaceX into into space or would would Elon Musk have been able to run Oprah's show as well as she did so with, with all the ones I've mentioned you've got this beautiful match between the person and the topic that they've chosen and it's that beautiful match that makes it such a success so I think you you cannot deny that someone following their passion finding the field that is just right for them can help someone be a successful entrepreneur and the other one is environment and yes. it's probably the most important one and it's the one that's talked about the most in the how to raise entrepreneurial kids book but something else i learned recently is that say you have say you have two brothers and one of the brothers is rich and tall the other brother is more likely to be rich than he is tall and i think that's just crazy because these oh, are really? brothers they share genes you would have thought that they would just both be tall or both be short or whatever but actually no the environment for whether someone's wealthy or not matters even more than their genes which i think's crazy yes and so like if you've got friends who are all starting youtube channels or you might want to start a YouTube channel too or if they will wear a certain type of clothes you might want to wear those type of clothes too and we're just we're social beings and we do want to copy each other and we become a combination of the people who we spend the most time with so I think with that in mind entrepreneurs can very much be made. Do you think you can actually spot if your child is
1: going to be an entrepreneur is that something that you can spot in them as, as as young as a baby you mentioned moving
0: towards music I think I'm always careful to differentiate between raising entrepreneurial kids not raising kid entrepreneurs because the book is all very much about what it means to be entrepreneurial not necessarily that someone has to start a business whilst they're wearing nappies I think that all kids are entrepreneurial. I think that babies are resourceful. They know what they want. They will scream until they get it. They'll climb up on work surfaces, explore cupboards. They're just just born with this innate curiosity and a desire to learn about the world and to learn what's possible. I think that if anything, it's schooling that trains entrepreneurial behavior out of us because it teaches us to stay in line. And it teaches us to, to move to the sound of a bell, to follow mark schemes, to remember information for exams. And it trains obedience because the school system was set up to get people ready to work in factories. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs become so in spite of their schooling and not because of their schooling. And the trouble is, if, if you get good at the school game, you just keep playing it and you keep winning the game. But is it the right game to be playing and I don't necessarily think it's creating entrepreneurial people or even the next generation of entrepreneurs.
1: So do you think there could be more done in schools to, to help to raise entrepreneurial children? The
0: statistic that I always think is interesting is that by the time a child is 18 they will have spent less than 14 percent of their waking hours in school so they really don't spend that much time there. It might seem like it's a real big part of of someone's existence, but there's there's far more time spent out of school than there is in school, so I think that it's a combination of at home and in school that can can ensure someone doesn't lose their natural entrepreneurial nature.
1: So how important are role models in a child's life?
0: Something I also learned recently was the five chimp rule, which is where you can predict the behavior and the disposition of a sixth chimp just by looking at the five chimps that it spends the most time with, you could actually predict how docile it will be or how happy it will be or how angry it will be. And that's just because we become who we hang around with. And I mentioned earlier that because we're we're social beings, we copy people, we emulate them. We used to go around in tribes. It's kind of a survival thing. We don't want to be the odd one out in a group. It's very natural that we would try and and unconsciously emulate the people around us. So If you ask a seven-year-old what they want to be when they grow up, they will give you an answer. And it has to be something that they already know because a child can only aspire to be what they already know exists. So they they will likely say a teacher or a footballer or a princess or a YouTuber or maybe a fireman or a builder, depending if they've seen them on television. So role models are just everything because we see in them our own futures.
1: Yeah, so it's really important to... Surround your children with positive people rather than having kind of negativity
0: there. Yes, exactly.
1: Tell me about your childhood. What happened in your childhood
0: to make you into the entrepreneur that you are today? My parents, and especially my mom, was just very keen that I would grow up very independent. And some of the things that happened in my childhood in particular, which I think contributed the most, one was that if I ever needed to book a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment, pretty much from as soon as I could talk, it was up to me to make that call and book that appointment for myself. And if you think about it, it's kind of easy because you know where the phone book is, you can see the number you have to call, you call up, you speak to someone on the other end, you make your appointment, and then you go to it. But I didn't ever realize that it was any different. I didn't realize that other kids weren't doing that themselves. I had no idea that this might be something that someone's parents did for them. The other one was whenever my family went away anywhere, even just for one night, it was always up to me and my younger sister to pack our own suitcases. And I'm pretty sure this happened from when we were maybe five or six. It was just, you know where your suitcase is, you know, you know what we're doing, it's up to you to plan it. And it was, it was all based on this phrase, what's the worst that could happen? And really the worst that could happen was that I picked a few silly outfits or didn't wear the right clothes for the right weather and looked a bit silly. And really it's just not that bad. So they were two of the things that I definitely remember being part of my childhood. And then going back to role models, one of my biggest role models was actually Matilda from the Roald Dahl book and also the film. I remember three things that really inspired me about her. And one of them was that she just loved reading and she'd go to and from the library all the time and she really enjoyed discovering new books. And that was a big part of who she was. I also remember her saying that she was never bothered about not knowing the answer she thought it's fine if I don't know the answer because I can always just ask so it it gave me the confidence to always always ask questions even if I didn't know the answer myself and finally she was also really big on the independence so if you've read the book or if you've seen the film she cooks for herself she looks after herself she takes herself places and I grew up thinking that this was a very aspirational thing and that I also wanted to be independent like Matilda. So what was the first entrepreneurial thing you did? First entrepreneurial thing I did was start a business, but that wasn't actually till I was 22. I think before then, I remember doing Blue Peter bring and buy sales. I remember running pretend shops with grandma's jewelry. (laughs) And then I worked as a waitress as well, but nothing really entrepreneurial because I don't think I even knew it was a concept at the time. I would definitely talk about businessy things with my mom because she was self-employed and she used to work from home. And I remember that what she did was very important because my sister and i would have to be quiet when she was working but i didn't i knew a little bit about what she yes. did because she'd involve us in some of in some of the things but i didn't know loads and what what did she do jodie she was a marketing consultant so i think of it, i was aware of the world of work but i didn't set up my own thing it was more about just experimenting and just playing businesses than actually starting a venture until i was 22
1: yes so what happened at 22
0: at 22. That's when I finished a graduate scheme, and I decided to set up my own social media agency. And I didn't plan it out a lot. I had a business plan that was two words: get clients. And that's when I just set about positioning myself as as a social media per, a social media manager and started winning clients and growing an agency and and hiring people. So that was my first entrepreneurial thing and I did that until a couple of months ago when the agency was acquired by a big marketing group so that's been the last 9 years or so of, of my life
1: yeah i love that just get clients <laughs> straight into the point so <laughs> yeah. how much of an influence do you think that your um that a parent can have on their child's career obviously your mom had a massive influence on you the main
0: influence that my mom had on me was that she showed me that being self-employed and then having my own business was an option for me. I don't know if I would have thought about it as an option if that hadn't been the case, because as we've mentioned with schooling, the goal, of, the goal of school is to get people to college. The goal of college is to get people to university. The goal of university is to get people into graduate schemes and into jobs. I don't think starting a business is a path that you would necessarily choose if you didn't have that role model. So in some cultures, they prize good grades and they prize a career in law or medicine. And many of their kids fall in line without questioning and some rebel. And some parents like mine lead by example and their kids can't help but get the bug for what they do. And their kids almost become mini-me's of them. One thing I've noticed is that some parents almost lead by reverse example. So someone who used to work in my team came from a family of entrepreneurs, a a family of lots of entrepreneurs, but they had experienced so many crushing lows that it, it had put her off. So she decided that she didn't want the instability and she turned completely away from starting up herself. So you can have role models, but you can also have reverse role models. But I think that the questions you ask and how you portray what normal is and how aspirational it is to be normal. And then also what's expected, what's the done thing, what's seen as too risky, is anything seen as too risky? That will all dictate how someone thinks about their future and how someone decides the option to take. So tell me a bit about Clever Tykes. Clever Tikes is a series of children's storybooks and it's for kids aged between six and nine. And the entire project started with a question, where are all the entrepreneurial role models? And it was because when my co-founder and I started looking for entrepreneurial mo- role models with the backing of all everything we've talked about so far, like if a, if a kid can only aspire to what they know exists, how do they know that entrepreneurs exist? We started looking at the media and TV shows. And what we found was that entrepreneurs were always portrayed really badly. (laughs) They weren't aspirational. They weren't inspirational. They tended to be greedy, mean, sometimes sweaty, just horrible characters. So you've got um, so Mr. (laughs) Burns from The Simpsons. You've got going back to Matilda. You've got her dodgy car dealer dad, Harry Wormwood. If you've seen the Lego Movie, there's Lord Business. Who wears this pinstripe suit and he yes. towers over everyone and he glues all the Lego together so no one can play with it. And this is what we are teaching people about what entrepreneurs and business people are like, and it's completely false. And even even when you use real humans, it's awful you've got, when you think of it like that. It is even when you've got real humans, like in Dragons Den and The Apprentice. In The Apprentice, Lord Sugar is pointing at people saying, "You're fired. You're not good enough," and all all of that kind of stuff. Which I'm pretty sure real bosses don't do, (laughs) or I didn't anyway. And it's just all setting up this terrible impression that just makes you think, why would anyone choose this? Why would anyone want to be portrayed in this way? And what we know about many entrepreneurs is that they've got a passion, they've got something that they really care about, and they are working towards serving a lot of people and having a really great time. And none of it's to do with, you know, power or telling, putting people in their place or anything like that. So, so once we realized how badly entrepreneurs were portrayed in the media, we decided to create some positive ones. And that's when we wrote them into storybooks. And then the biggest success with Clever Clevertykes was a couple of years ago, when we secured sponsorship from Lloyd's Banking Group to gift the books to all of the primary schools in the UK. So that was 24,000 primary schools that each got a set of the books, an online portal and all the teaching resources so that they could incorporate them into the lessons as well.
1: That's wonderful. Yes. Fantastic. So what six things do you think parents can do to inspire their children to be entrepreneurs?
0: Well, ahead of writing How to Raise Entrepreneurial Kids, we collected responses from parents based on two questions. And those questions were, how are you raising entrepreneurial kids? And how were you raised to be entrepreneurial? So I guess it's not necessarily to inspire them to be entrepreneurs, but to inspire them to be entrepreneurial. Um, And from some of the responses we received, it's all about sharing stories and examples rather than giving specific advice. But I do have six. (laughs) So one of them is, is journal. So some of the responses we received were from parents who they with with their child they put each day up for review. So they created a journaling habit, and it helped to develop this self awareness that they knew would stand someone really well in their future when they made their choices about the next steps. So would that
1: be to get the child to journal, or or to to do it as a family?
0: Either, either, yeah, either do it as a family or spark that interest and get them to start journaling but the the point is that it creates it creates self awareness
1: yes yeah that makes sense
0: the second one was about involving them in solving interesting problems and what i mean by interesting problems is not problems that you can google <laughs> it's more things like how should i approach this obstacle or how do i get this outcome or how should i ask for this thing And one of the examples that stands out to me was Amy Cheadle, who's the founder of Northern Doco. So they make pizza bases. And she involves her kids in creating pizza topping recipes. And she had stories as well from her own childhood of being involved in solving interesting problems with her family. So it almost came full circle. The third one is labeling. Parents who submitted the responses that included labeling differentiated between labeling someone positively and la- labeling someone negatively on the basis that what you label people becomes part of their identity? So, if you call someone clumsy, they will start to identify with that clumsy label and they will almost start being more clumsy, and then it will become a self fulfilling prophecy. So because you know that they become someone's future identity, it's like being really careful about the labels that you give someone because lazy, clumsy, pretty, it's going to mean that they think of that term in a certain way and they identify with it in different ways. And some labels set up someone's successful, happy future and some really don't.
1: So would you say to use empowering Words. I don't want to say label, but to use empowering words with them to describe them, or just to avoid labels altogether.
0: Some of the responses we we received were from parents who differentiated between labelling someone's actions and labelling someone's character. So I think I can remember one in particular from someone called Shan, and she would say to her daughter, like that was that was a real strong thing you just did, or that was it. It would be about the action that she did rather than who she was as a person. So I guess her daughter learned to associate her actions with a certain outcome rather than to identify with a certain label.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Another one was strategy games. So loads of the responses from current entrepreneurs who we wrote about in How to Raise Entrepreneurial Kids, they played chess a lot when they were young. And two other games that came up were Theme Park World and Roller Coaster Tycoon. And this is all about playing businesses and thinking about the next steps of something. So with, um, with Theme Park World, for example, you have to create a virtual theme park. You have to make decisions about ticket prices and people's happiness and how many entertainers to put in the queue. To, to make people happy while they're queuing for their rides. And you get all this experience of testing things out and seeing the effect that it has on your park. There were, a lot of, there were a lot of current entrepreneurs that talked about strategy games as being a key component of whether they turned out to be entrepreneurs. That's really interesting. Yeah. So another one was around reframing mistakes and reframing failing. And Sarah Blakely, who I mentioned earlier, the founder of Spanx, she said that her dad around, when they were around the kitchen table, her dad would ask everyone, what have you failed at today? And he saw failing as this really good thing, because if you failed at something, it means that you tried. So he would really encourage them to try and fail, to try and do things and not be worried about making mistakes or, or getting something wrong. And then the sixth was about selling and selling within a safe, experimental kind of environment. So one of the responses that we received was someone called Deepak Taylor and he has a company called Latest Free Stuff, which is all about coupons and different things that you can get for free all over the UK. And when he was younger, he was messing around on eBay and he was listing things, just unwanted household items for sale on eBay and just seeing what happened. And he said that his mom wasn't super keen at her stuff being listed on eBay. But then when she found out that people were paying for it, she was fascinated. And then they they both started this journey together and they started listing more stuff on eBay. And that actually turned into Deepak's first business, which then turned into the, the blog and the network that he's got today. So it's like looking for opportunities to just play businesses. And it, it results in opening up someone's eyes to whatever possibilities could be in their future.
1: That's brilliant. Those are some great tips there. And things that you wouldn't think about as a parent, especially, you know, asking your kids how they failed and encouraging them to fail. That's it kind of almost goes against the grain, doesn't it? But it it does make sense when you describe it like that. So how do you think parents should talk to their kids about work and about money? And and do you think we sometimes
0: do this in a bit of a negative way? This is such an interesting topic. And it's actually covered in How to Raise Entrepreneurial Kids by my co-author, Daniel Priestley. So Daniel is is an entrepreneur, and he's a dad of three kids, all under the age of seven, I think. So he's a very, very busy man. And he is super aware of how he talks to his kids about work and money. So if we start with work, he knows that if he describes work as, oh, I've got to go to work, and oh, it's Monday, and oh, it's this place I have to go, and isn't it horrible? he knows that that will be his kid's impression of what work is like. So he's so careful to describe it in a really positive way and talk to them about all the fun things he gets to do. So he'll say things like, you know, I get to create things and I get to come up with ideas and I get to work in a team with people and I get to I get to try things out. And he'll compare it to how much fun one of his sons has has at big school. And he'll say, you know how much you love big school? Well, that's how I feel about work. And so he... He just believes that doing this now will get them to frame work in a really positive way in their future, and have them look forward to it and see it as something that they do that could make a difference and can add to their life, not just something that you have to do to kind of pay the bills. Like he, he really avoids phrases like that, like paying the bills or um, have to, or the phrase have to. And then about money, yes, the limiting beliefs that people hear in childhood about money are so interesting because they can really stick with them when they grow up. If you've ever heard phrases like money doesn't grow on trees or people like us don't don't do things like that or people or like money's hard to come by or like oh you have to work hard to earn money, all of these are examples of limiting beliefs which will keep someone playing small and aspiring for for a very low level. And so Daniel talks about this in the book as well and around how to be positive about money. And actually, things that he says to his kids are things like well, money's everywhere. There's never been more money around in the system. You know, the government's putting more money than ever into, into the system, it's, it's just everywhere. You could even find some down the back of the sofa if, you, <laughs> if you're lucky. And he talks to his kids about how there are lots of different ways to, to make money. And he realized that parents would often just pay money for chores. And he doesn't want his kids just to just think that money is only possible to be made by doing things that you don't really want to do, like cleaning or tidying or washing cars. So some of the things he does is he'll, he'll pay his kids for their artwork. So he'll I say, well, you could, write me a re- you could write me a poem or write me a story or you could paint me a picture and then you could sell it to me. And he's trying to just create a better connection between how you, between how you make money and what you do.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. That's something that we don't tend to think to do as parents. It's really interesting. As I said before, your book is really inspiring. Uh, some of the things I've already started to try and do with my kids. <laughs> and and I think that like the thing you said about your mom, um, letting you pack your own suitcase and things like that, I realise now. As a parent, I'm sometimes reluctant to give them that bit of space to do that kind of thing. Uh, I tried to do it with my kids the other day and I was like, I'm going to have to just check what you've done. And it's that that trust, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, and, And they can sense that themselves, I guess, which is really interesting. So... You said about you kind of put out questions. I just want to know a bit more about how the book came about and
0: and and a bit about how it can really help parents. How, how does the book work? The two questions that I asked for responses about were, well, yeah, the ones I mentioned earlier. So how are you raising entrepreneurial kids and how were you raised to be entrepreneurial? And I put them out via a hashtag journo request and I also put them out via a program called Harrow, which stands for help a reporter out, which is where journalists find sources and I really thought that I might get two or three responses and I thought I could write a blog post out of the responses and I actually got 500. Wow. (laughs) And they all contained such incredible stories. And I was, I was reading them and people were pouring their hearts out onto the page. And it was almost like they were having realizations as they were writing. So they were going, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm self-employed. And this is what happened in my childhood. Oh, do you think this meant that? Do you think this meant that? And they kept coming up with all these things that they realized made such a difference. So I realized that I had about 40,000 words, and that this wasn't just a blog post. <laughs> it had to be, it had to be a book. <laughs> and that's when I called it Daniel Priestley, who I'd known for a while. And because because he's a parent, because I'm, I'm very much the kid in this story because I don't have kids myself, but I was definitely raised by entrepreneurial parents. But Daniel's got three kids. So not only was he raised by entrepreneurial kids, parents he's also raising entrepreneurial kids himself so I thought it was really important that we got the balance there and then we wrote up those stories into we grouped them into four different themes and the themes we've called the the four pillars of raising entrepreneurial kids which are entrepreneurial mindset entrepreneurial skills entrepreneurial opportunities and the parent mentor and then within those four themes they're split into 46 different ways and each of them have got stories and actionables and and different different things to kind of test out and it very much is about sharing ideas and sharing expertise rather than anyone giving advice I don't like we we definitely don't want it to be a it's not a parenting book. We're, we're so aware that there are as many different ways to parent as there are children and there's no right or wrong answer. It's just about sharing different stories. But it has really helped parents inspire their kids. It's helped them just come up with new ideas. And if every person takes three or four ideas out from it that then spark a new conversation or a new way of doing something or, or help a kid to be more resourceful or happy or resilient, then it'll have done its job. I think with the book, it's going, to be on a long, it's going to be on a long time frame. We won't necessarily see the effects of the kids who've had these methods tried out on them until they're 16, 17, 18, and they see entrepreneurship as an option, whereas they wouldn't before. But I feel like it will happen from the response that, we'll, that we've received so far.
1: I feel like that with the book as well. I want to keep it on the shelf and refer back to it as my children get older and are embracing new things. So tell me about some of your favorite anecdotes that those parents sent
0: to you when you asked that question. Most of my favorite anecdotes were actually from the entrepreneurs who were talking about their own childhoods. And that's because we know that they have worked, but they're just, and they're just, they're just fascinating. So one of them was from Carrie Green, who's the founder of the Female Entrepreneur Association, which is a huge network for female entrepreneurs. When she was younger, her dad played her Jim Rohn tapes who's like a self-improvement kind of guru and he taught her about cosmic ordering he taught her how to create and go into a mind palace and visualize her future and visualization is such a key part of her success today that it's so interesting that it was introduced to her at the age of about 10 and he also taught her this um this technique that he called the bell jar technique which was if you if you can feel that there's negativity going on about you you can visualize that you're putting this bell jar over yourself and it all bounces off you so you don't internalize it and it helps you to keep your own steady state instead of being kind of flitted about by other people There was another story from Ben Banks, who's the founder of SBD Apparel, which is a sports brand. And he remembers seeing his parents real meticulous attention to detail. So they were cabinet makers and furniture makers. And he remembers them examining every single item to look for any defects before they shipped it to a customer. And so he learned how to have a real keen eye for detail. And that's been a big success behind his business. And every item that they ship out goes through something like 12 checks before it's before it's customer ready. And then another one was Una Collins, yes. who's the CEO of a company called Potential Plus International. It's a coaching business. And She remembers from when she was young, her mom opening their door to travelers. And so people from all over would stay on their sofa and it would mean that as a just as a young girl she would meet people from every country and it would open her eyes to possibility and once her eyes were opened it was so difficult for her to see this normal path and to want to go down a normal path because she'd started to see what you could be capable of and the world almost seemed smaller to her because she knew that people were from all over and she learned about their cultures and how they lived wow yeah what great opportunities and they were, and they were just couch surfers as well they were just people staying on the sofa who she just chatted to so it's a, it's a very unique situation, but it also sounds quite cool. And then the final one was um, someone called Mike Bandar, who actually started a business in, in Birmingham. It's, he's a co-founder of Turn Partners. And when he was younger, he had lots of ideas about marketing. And his parents encouraged him to write to the brands. So if he was like, oh, they could do this or oh, they could do that as a little kind of cheeky boy, which I can imagine he was, his parents would say, well, why don't you tell them your idea? And he wrote letters to brands And he wrote to Tate and Lyle, the sugar company, and they actually wrote back and invited him in for a tour. (laughs) And so they gave him like a special hat and he had to wear a hairnet. And he walked around and he told them his ideas and they said, oh, wow, that's really cool. And I think it's it's those kind of things that you only get the opportunity to do if you ask the question.
1: How many parents would say, oh, well, if you've got this idea right to the company, it's a great idea, isn't it? Yeah, because it's a show. It all
0: starts at home. And it goes back to that, what's the worst that could happen type thing? Because I guess the worst that could happen is they won't respond, but you've still got the experience of writing it. You've still got the experience of just having a go. It doesn't really matter if nothing comes of it, but something just might.
1: Yeah. So do you think it's possible to spark this in your child, even if they don't seem to be that way inclined?
0: To answer that, it's super important to unpack what we mean by entrepreneurial. And I think resourceful, creative, inquisitive, positive, resilient, I think that these are all things that can be developed with the right questions and the right methods. One of the examples from the How to Raise Entrepreneurial Kids book was a parent who talked about this concept of doubling down. So he has a son and when his son is interested in something he will double down on that topic. So say it's dinosaurs, say his kid's just got this interest in in dinosaurs. He will take him to dinosaur museums. He will have dinosaur toys. They will watch dinosaur programs. He'll have a dinosaur bread spread. He'll just double down on that topic because his theory is that he wants his kid to be able to just learn mastery in any area, just learn how to really go into detail on a topic And then when he's older, and maybe he's not going to be a dinosaur scientist or (laughs) whatever role that would lead to, but it almost doesn't matter because he's now learned how to double down on something, and he's now learned how to develop an interest beyond just a surface level interest. So I really, really like the doubling down example, and I think that everyone is interested in something. Everyone is, everyone has that topic that just lights them up, and maybe if there isn't that, then they just haven't found it yet, and it's a case of keep looking. So
1: we've got some questions that we
0: ask um, a lot of people on our podcast. So I'll
1: fire them off to you if that's okay. So what would be the two things you would tell your 18 year old self if you had the chance?
0: (laughs) To my 18 year old self, I would say the world is a big place so seek out wider influences before you commit to a path or to say go into university so meet more people and discover how other people live and learn about other cultures and other ways of living and working and make all of your decisions with more information i think i'd tell her to appreciate that her bubble is really small right now it's as wide as as her family or friends or and city and it's not necessarily reflective of of the world or of of her kind of potential or capability within that world.
1: What are the three things you love to do every day? And what gives you a great routine or start or end to your day?
0: Every day I train in powerlifting. I'm a competitive powerlifter. So training takes up quite a big part of the day, as well as stretching, going for walks. I go for a run every other day. And I also make sure to write every day. So I make sure that I put something down on paper, even if I don't feel like it, because I just think consistent actions stack up. And if I can create a habit of creating a few words a day, they lead to a few pages, which lead to a few books. And so I make sure that I never miss a day, even if I really don't feel like it. Another thing that I I do that I really try and get better at and I'm definitely not perfect but I'm trying to get better is leaving it later into the day to check things so I mean checking emails or checking social media I almost play a game with myself and see how late I can go before I check because I think that I really want to just do I really want to just do the stuff that's on my list first before I look at other people's priorities which I guess is what email is And then having, so having owned a social media company for about nine years, I'm really tuned into digital distraction and technology addiction. So I'm always trying to fight it. And I think I'm definitely not going to look back at my life on my last day and wish that I'd spent more time on Twitter. (laughs) Yes, that's so true.
1: What are your non-negotiables as a businesswoman?
0: So I never miss a training session. I definitely say no more than I say yes. I'm I'm fiercely protective of my time. And I think I'm quite big on boundaries. So when I work, I work. I don't have WhatsApp open at the side. And when I rest, I rest. And I wouldn't have my emails open at the side. And it's the same with training. And I think I'm quite big on really focusing on what I'm doing at that time rather than trying to straddle activities and being low-level engaged in lots of different things. And then I think my health always comes first. So I always prioritise eating well and training well and sleeping well. And for me, I think it's the non-negotiable foundation that everything else can build from. Because I really do think that running on empty is such a false economy. That's
1: really good advice. I think particularly mums are really guilty of multitasking and thinking that we can do it when actually we're just running on empty. So what would be your one piece of advice that you would give to mums and dads, especially those wanting to raise entrepreneurial children?
0: In the book, the final section is called leading by example. And I think it's by far the most important section. I think parents will always be the most prominent person in their kids' life, bar no one else. It was the same for me, it was the same for nearly every entrepreneur interviewed in the book. So I guess I would say don't underestimate yourself, your your words and your actions and how they are really powerfully influencing the little people around you that's fantastic advice well it's been so good to talk to you today jody thank
1: you so much for coming onto the podcast thank you so much for having me you can read jody's full story on our brummy mummies facebook page and on the birmingham live website and you can find out more about jody and how she's inspiring families in her book how to raise entrepreneurial kids which is available on Amazon and on her website, www.clevertykes.com. There's even a playbook to accompany it too. Brummy Mummies is a laudable production, brought to you by Brummy Mummies and Birmingham Live. You can download or stream the Brummy Mummies podcast on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify and Apple. Be sure to follow our Brummy Mummies Facebook page for lots more family information and fun. And whilst there, sign up to our newsletter to make sure you never miss an episode see you next time